Hi, and welcome to the Brilliant Perspectives podcast with Graham Cook. I'm your host, Michael Becchio. In this episode of the podcast, I'm going to dive into a special series I did with Graham a couple years ago. The two of us spent a few days in his meditation space, preparing to share a behind-the-scenes look at the things that have been an integral part of his journey with the Lord over the last few decades. He told stories I've never heard him share before, bringing out things of great meaning that he's been given or has collected over the years, and speaking from the heart on the ups and downs of his spiritual journey. It was a treasured time together, the insights of which are still impacting me to this day, and what a joy we had in sharing it with our brilliant TV community. The full series is found on BTV, and it's really worth watching. I'll for sure include a link for you in the description of this podcast. Also, a final note, Graham references the visuals he's holding or standing next to throughout each episode, so you'll probably hear some things that make more sense when you watch the videos. But no worries, there's of course still plenty to be gained in hearing his words. And hey, on this Thanksgiving holiday, I want you to know that I'm really thankful to have a podcast community together with you. As we approach 4 million downloads, Graham, Team Brilliant and I are very aware of the impact that we're privileged to have through this podcast, and we're so grateful that you're part of it. I hope you'll share it with others that they might be blessed and receive the same kind of insights and goodness, the same perspectives and beautiful realizations of God that I hope you've had. May you experience sounds of blessings and love moments with the Father, the overwhelming passions and affections of your sweet Jesus, and the wondrous, ever-present beauty and joy of our Holy Spirit. You are greatly loved, beloved of God. Thanks for joining us. Now on to Graham. Enjoy. Today we're going to be talking about poetry and um, how God got me into writing poetry and, uh, and how we interact with the poetic in his life, in his heart, and in mine. And uh, it's caused a major shift in my relationship with the Lord. Now, I want to say a caveat here. I am by no stretch of anyone's imagination a poet. I, real poets, I, I couldn't fit in that space. But I can fit in the space between me and the Lord, because I think poetry really is about, often it's about what you see, it can be about what you feel. It's about the space you inhabit in a, in a creative way, whether that space is not good at the moment or whether it's great. You, know, you get to live in a space and you get to kind of talk about it. So um, I'm going to share with you some of the poetry that uh, I've written uh, with the Holy Spirit, or I've written with Jesus, and a few I've written with the Father. And um, <clears throat> I think the key thing that I've learned the most is that when you're going through something awful, you need to think of something beautiful. You know, you, we all have choices. You know, the two choices we have predominantly are Am I going to live in the old man today, or am I going to live in the new man today? With this situation, is it, am I going to let it pull me out of who I am in Christ, or am I going to use it to establish who I am in Christ? Um, you know, if you, if you choose the old man, 
you do know that you're going to have to go, you go around in a circle and you get to revisit that place. I've been on that circle. It's like sometimes I feel like I'm driving on a roundabout. I'm just like going round and round and I'm realizing, Graham, you need to stop this. You know, you need to choose the manner in which you're going to face something and then ask God to be with you. And, or even just ask the Holy Spirit, how would you like to be with me in this situation? That's a question I've really super enjoyed. Um, if you decide on the new man, you know, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the original three plus me. You have the Redeemer, you have the Helper, and you have the Creator. But one thing I learned uh, through doing poetry is that whole idea that if you're going through something awful, choose something beautiful to look at. And as I was, a lot of my poetry in the early days was reflecting back on what I could have done or what I should have done or even what I did. And then the Lord said, how about we not create poetry after the fact? Why don't you create some poetry before the fact? I said, but but I won't know how it's going to turn out. And he said, it's okay, I'll tell you. (laughs) You Because God does want you to know. He wants you to know what the outcome is. And so he said, but the whole point of writing poetry before something is I will tell you what this situation will do for you. Even if it's going to be difficult, I'll show you what the outcome is. Then what I want you to do is I want you to write some poetry about the outcome so that when you're going through the circumstances, your focus is on the outcome and you're reading that poem to yourself. And he said, you know, and I'll be there so you can read it to me also. And I said, that's fascinating. Um, Where did you get that from? He said, it's in one of your favorite scriptures, son. It's in Isaiah 61 verse 3 when he talks about beauty instead of ashes. And he's saying, if the situation of your life tastes like ashes in your mouth, right before you even start the assignment, I'm going to show you the beauty that I'm going to give you. So I'm giving you beauty instead of those ashes. So instead of you focus on what is happening around you or to you, you need to be focusing on who I am for you. So he gave me beauty instead of ashes. And Some of my poetry is about the oil of joy, you know, instead of mourning, instead of uh, extreme sorrow. And about the mantle of praise, um, instead of fainting or having a heavy heart, that he gives you something. It's almost like I realize he like kind of anesthetizes me in the situation so that I can focus on him and... uh, and therefore be effective in terms of how I am approaching my life, you know, like stopping whining, complaining, because no one's listening, right? (laughs) And then just choosing the manner in which you want to be affected by who God is. So I love poetry. Uh, I'm going to read you some. And... uh, I know some of you are into poetry in the community, and that's great. Uh, If you've got any tips for me, I'd love to have them. (laughs) But most of you will think, 
I could write something better than that, and I hope that you do. But this is one of my ways of actually uh, using language to talk with God before the situation and during it. So I'm going to start with, um, it's a story that I've told before um, on embracing the beauty of God. Um, but we've had like a few thousand people join the community since then. So um, I thought this would be a good place to start because this was the beginning of me understanding this whole secret place that when you're going through suffering and opposition and so on, there's a landing place for you inside the heart of God. So this one was um, the situation where I was uh, in ministry with a group of guys who became jealous about um, my, my gift and my ministry, popularity, I guess. Um, and eventually, long story short, I found myself off the team and isolated. And, you know, they spoke rumors um, and they shared lies dressed up as concerns. They never actually lied, but they never really told the truth either. <laughs> so it was all like, well, you know, Graham, we love him, but we just couldn't agree with some stuff. And you know, in the end, we just, we knew we weren't getting anywhere with him. So we just had to let him go. All of which is absolutely true, but not from that perspective. <laughs> and it's the hardest thing, you know, to combat. And in the end, you realize there is no combat, you know. Uh, so my phone stopped ringing, you know, and I'm a, I'm a young father with two small kids. And anyway, the only job I could get was digging graves in inaccessible parts of the cemetery. And uh, most of you who've been on the community a long time know that there was one day I was digging a grave and, and it was a, a, a family grave. So you had to go down 16 feet because you're going to fit like three or four coffins in there, you know, over time. So, you know, and I was, I was down there and I had to get a ladder, you know, put so I had a spade and a bucket and it was clay, wet clay, because there's a water table there. And so I would like dig out clay, put it in the bucket, climb up the ladder, empty it out, go back down. Great fitness program. <laughs> It's a terrible job. And then the guys who were very mischievous um, decided they would just take my ladder away. And so they did. And then um, they all forgot that, I, that, that the ladder wasn't in the hole. So I was down there for like about eight hours. I was covered in clay. And the only thing I could do at that moment in time was worship. And... Um, I remember coming home and um, not what, really sure why that happened or why didn't God stop it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I came home, I had a, a, a hot shower and, and, you know, when the kids were in bed, I, I sat and thought about the day. And, and I, felt, um, I felt these words rising up in my spirit. And of course, me being me, I didn't realize until a couple of days later that while I was in the grave, God had started writing a poem about me. And it started coming up in my spirit. And he, he absolutely captured everything I was feeling. And it was so incredible to me that he would talk to me about how I was feeling. And it's like 
all the way through it was like, son, I understand what you're going through. And he really did. So this poem anyway is the one that he wrote the first few verses. Um, and I wrote the last two with him. It's called So Deep. Standing in a grave, repulsed by life. Laughter has become derision. I'm in contempt of myself. The canopy of my integrity does not cover humiliation. I convince no one. I am made speechless by what they see, but it isn't me. Misunderstood. In this pit of God's design, I find rest. Sat in him, setting a table, meal for one, cast adrift from friendship, but not lonely. So low am I, so deep are you. Build the man you want from my surrendered parts. <laughs> to be like you, I need this hole spiraling down into love that heals. Learning the depths of you, so deep my shallowness receding. Affliction enabling fullness, an inner world of peace so deep, proclaiming life after death. And that was amazing to me when I read it because he knew exactly how I was feeling. I've been unpopular on all the big platforms around Europe and now I'm in a hole in the ground and no one's calling. I'm, you know, I'm totally cut off on my own except I have three people plus me and that's where I started to learn what it meant to really be with God, to walk with God and to know that he understood the depth of what I was feeling. But it wouldn't stop him from entering into that and changing it. When you're going through something awful, think of something beautiful. <laughs> I love that one. That's my first attempt. This is another one I... <clears throat> yeah, just thinking about changing. You know, sometimes I think the biggest part of changing is the agony of self that you live with and the knowledge of who you are and what you could really become in Jesus. And it's that paradox of what you're not and who he is for you. It's that paradox that creates exactly the right prayer. And so I wrote this, it's very short, but I actually, I use this as a prayer too, um, a lot of the time. And it's called Strike This Rock. Strike this rock of my heart till water gushes forth. Afflict my soulish nature till your passion is outpoured. Let this pain not be in vain. Stay with me till I attain the glory that you see in a broken-hearted me, I surrender. I, the situation I was going through at the time, I must have just, I read this out to the Lord, I don't know, 
30, 40 times. Because it kept my heart on track with what God is doing. You're going through something awful. Think of something beautiful. And this is what I thought about. Yeah, my heart's going to get broken here, but it's going to get healed here, and my heart will be bigger. But I wanted to surrender to let him know, you know, um, I'm not quitting. So don't quit on me. Let every ounce of pain that causes it, let it bring some deep healing in my heart. So there are times when, you know, when God and I are reminiscing about life, you know, he's not always present future. He's always present. And sometimes we go back in time and he says, remember when you were in this situation? Read that poem to me. And I said, I don't know which one it is. And he said it's on page 13, which is what it is. <laughs> so I love that. I love that he knows everything and he has a memory like 10,000 elephants. So this is another one that was hot on the heels of this because, you know, sometimes the heat of your situation gets really fierce and the things that are against you, you know, can never outnumber who is for you and you have to kind of keep that in mind and um, I was going through a time of incredibly strong religious persecution, rumors, lies this is a prophet's life, you know, difficult you know, deliberate misrepresentations made of you character attacks, judgment calls. This is all part of my cross in the sense of, of being prophetic. Because um, the enemy hates prophetic. And so he just gets religious people to help him out. But what I'm learning here, for a long time I was like vengeful and, you know, um, angry and uh, isolating myself. I was self-isolating before this pandemic. <laughs> you know, the beauty of having me in your life is I've fallen down every hole it's possible to fall down. So I should knock 10 years off your learning. <laughs> so, but there can be no defense that is rooted in vengeance. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, Help me through this. Why am I so attracted to vindication and revenge and vengeance and all of that stuff? He said, it's just the old nature, son. Uh, the new nature is nothing like that. But this is a verse that my son used that was written about him hundreds of years before he, was, he became Emmanuel. And it's Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So it's like, okay, that's the company I'm keeping right now. <laughs> so I wrote this poem, it's called, um, it's called, I'm not asking for rescue. And I still read this, you know, in situations that I've been going through in the last year or so. I'm not asking for rescue. Lord, I'm not asking for rescue. 
I would rather have your peace. In darkness unending, I do not seek release. I do not ask that suffering should cease. I want to be true instead, faithful to die unnoticed. I wanted you to hear my cry to let me die, but your quiet kiss took my breath and led me to the place of death. The promise of life, a pinprick of light afar off. I wait, humbled, scoffers scoff. I'm contented, I learn to abide. Fascination for me was that God didn't teach me to abide when everything was going well. He taught me to abide when my back was against a wall and people were, you know, against me. And he taught me the power of three plus me. He taught me, we're always here. We will not forsake you. We will never leave you. We will not fail you. And I think difficult circumstances are often like the greatest means to finding God. So we shouldn't discount them. We should use them uh, because they're there for our benefit. I know it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> I love that poem. I love what it still does in my heart. Here's another one. It's a, it's a short one. It's called Love Inarticulate. And I had this encounter with God where um, I was overwhelmed by God's love for days. Uh, I, couldn't, I could hardly move. Um, I could hardly think. I was just um, in this place of just indescribable love washing over me, filling every part of me. And um, part of me felt like I weighed a thousand tons. And the other, another part of me felt like I weighed like a feather, you know, and it was just incredible. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can think. It's just pouring in over you, over you, over you, filling you constantly. And um, when I could get, uh, when, when everything did come back, my thinking and all of that, I wrote this. The thing is, I lost my voice for three days. Um, but I felt like I was being bathed in beauty. I felt transported. And honestly, the, there is no known language to describe what the Father did for me. Love inarticulate. Love inarticulate renders me speechless. Only the smile on my face betrays the beauty within. Love grows, feeds on itself. The ascension of selfless life, heaven in heart and mind, a contribution. To give love is everything. To receive love is sublime. I can go back to that day and I can read this and I still feel um, the power of it. Not in the way that I did in that few days, but I still feel it tugging at me, you know? And it's a great place. Um, that's where I rest. And I think that's what that situation was about. 
giving me a platform, giving me a place to rest in who God is and to know that I can go there at any time, any situation, and I can beat it because I'm in that sacred space. So I love that. Thank you.